Now, next week, we're in a four-part series on the force of prayer. And we looked at part one about persistence. People quit too easy. They give up. They're discouraged. It takes almost nothing to send somebody into a death spiral by a rejection or because something takes a little longer than 15 minutes. Hello? We kind of approach the kingdom of God like if it isn't on your table in 15 minutes, lunch is free. It doesn't work that way. You need persistence in order to gain a victory. You've got to have a little stamina to go with it. You know, when you run a marathon, the key is endurance, persistence. When you run a sprint, it's over in 9.6 seconds. It's over. When you run a marathon, it's two hours plus. We're in a marathon. We're not in a sprint. So the key is endurance which is perseverance, stay with it, stay with it. Then we looked at part two in our force of prayer, and we talked about asking. Jesus said, whatsoever you ask in my name. And we talked about the fact most people sit around and don't ask. They're afraid. They're afraid of rejection. They're afraid they might fail. They're afraid of what somebody might say. And I told you, you ask. Ask God. He gave us illustration after illustration to say, come on, talk to me. Ask me something. Try to scare me. Try to scare God. Ask for something big. We ask too small. The only thing God ever rebuked Israel for was not asking enough. So we talked about keep on asking. It's in the Greek continuous case, keep on asking, seeking, knocking, and finding. And so ask big. And then we brought it over into the secular and say, ask for a better table in a restaurant. If they're directing you to a table by the kitchen door, you see other, other tables in a nicer area. They're just trying to give Gladys some business in her area. But you're the paying customer. You're the profit. She's the overhead. Ask, may we have that table over there? I do that every week we go out. If somebody's taking me where I don't want to go, ask for an upgrade, ask for a better room, ask for a promotion, ask, ask, ask. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. Ask the prettiest girl in here out for coffee at the cafe. What's the worst thing in the world that could happen to you? She say, no. Well, you got no going for you now. You didn't lose anything. She might get desperate and say, yeah, she's so beautiful, nobody wants to ask her out. They're all afraid of rejection, so she'll even take somebody ugly. Come on, ask. <laughs> Next week, we close it, and it's my favorite, the power of two in agreement. The not the power of 5,000, just two in the kingdom of God. Don't miss that one. That's my all-time favorite. Today, I'm going to do something that 90% of you have never heard probably in your entire life, particularly church life. Only a few might have heard about it, and I'm going to do a simple application of it. I call it Dirty Harry Praying, okay? This is biblical, and I'll show you in a moment, but I'm going to begin by reading Psalms 91, verse 1. I'm going to read a bunch of Psalms. Just buckle up for a few minutes, then I'll, I'll get with it. O oh God, the pagan have come into your inheritance. They have invaded your preserve. Our neighbors insult us, verse 2. Verse 4, we are objects of contempt to our neighbors, of scorn and derision to those around us. Verse 5, how long, Lord, will you be angry forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not acknowledge you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. Why should the nations say, where is their God? 
before our eyes make known among the nations that you avenge the outpoured blood of your servants. May the groans of the prisoners come before you. With your strong arm, preserve those condemned to die. Pay back into the laps of our neighbors seven times the contempt they have hurled at you, Lord. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pastor, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. Then Psalms 5, 8 through 10. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. Psalms, this is not now I lay me down to sleep, you notice? Psalms 83, verse 1 and 2. O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind. He's praying against God's adversaries and your adversaries. Pursue them with your tempest. Terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Psalms 58, 6, break the teeth in their mouth, O God. Put that on your refrigerator. <laughs> you won't find that one in Daily Bread devotional. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. Violent prayers. But we live in a very violent world right now. Psalms 137, verse 8 and 9, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Woo! This is rough stuff, folks. These prayers are probably not underlined in your Bible, and most Christians don't know what to do with them. They are a group of psalms called imprecatory psalms. It comes from the verb imprecate, which means to pray evil upon, to call evil upon. These kind of psalms threaten or denounce something that is unjust and evil. I just call them dirty, hairy prayers, and you'll see why. Now, my point in bringing these psalms to your attention is that we're living in an hour, God's saying some pretty strong things about spiritual warfare and violence. You know, when I was a kid, back in black and white movies, we used to go to the movie, and you know, the settlers would be pioneers, they'd be coming in their wagons with the kids and mama and the, and the cows, and they'd be herding across the, the west, and they'd come under attack. And then they'd be surrounded, and it looks like things aren't going to work out. They're running out of ammunition. They're almost toast, and in the distance, you could hear a sound of a bugle. 
And you knew, holy cow, deliverance is on the way. And then they'd cut to a flag of the cavalry and hundreds of horsemen riding in to save the settlers. Anybody remember that? Okay. I, I remember thinking it. And it would speak to something down inside all human beings. See, when wrong is being done, when outrage is being committed, there's something in a good woman and a good man that rises up. If you're normal, right? You know, as Christians, how do you handle those feelings? Unfortunately, we usually suppress them. You know, some of the most successful movies of the 1980s were the violent type. Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry, Charles Bronson as the enforcer. He loved to go out and get mugged so he could pull out a 44 Magnum cannon, and when the guys pulled the knife, he pulled the cannon, and the show was over. And then we had Sylvester Stallone as Rambo. Uh, my wife informed me last night that a lot of you weren't born then. <laughs> so watch this clip from Liam Nielsen in Taken. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Oh, yeah. You're getting an amen from me on that, Liam. Don't mess with my daughter. Now, that's natural. That's physical. We understand that. But we, our heart races when those who perpetrate such outrageous evil are suddenly confronted with something much stronger than they are, and we know justice is about to be administrated, right? All of these films were centered around righteous outrage, like tortured POWs, or a man's wife is brutally raped and killed, and because of some technicality, the police couldn't do anything about it. So this guy buys a pistol with a barrel four feet long and walks along waiting to get mugged, and he pulls out a cannon and blows away the muggers. That was Charlie Bronson, who I always loved as the enforcer. Now those films kind of satisfy an inner desire in us to see outrageous evil repelled, to see wrongs rioted, uh, righted, not rioted, righted. And there's an appeal in that. So all over the world, there's a groundswell to bring down outrageous evil. I believe there's a legitimate expression of violent warfare God's bringing to His church. Now, it's okay as a Christian believer to feel holy outrage. The Bible says in James, be angry, but sin not. You, Jesus got angry. He threw over furniture, took a whip, drove money changers out of the temple. When was the last time you threw furniture around the house and took a whip somewhere in the office? This is sweet, mild little Jesus. But he never sinned. But he was outraged 
at injustice, bigotry, racism, prejudice. He, he hated it. And so, I don't know what camp you came out of, but righteous anger is a key to your future and destiny. If you see injustice, and you see inequity, and you see people suffering under oppression, and it makes you angry, that's a key. You may become a civil rights attorney. You might become somebody involved in helping social justice. That, if it just draws you, all of us can be angered by something, and it's a key to what I may be pushed into by God in my destiny and future. Have you thought about anything make any of you mad? I told the military when they wanted to draft me, I said, you'll have to draft my wife. She's the only one who can make me mad enough to kill. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I better be kidding. I've been married to her next week, 42 years. That, one girl right there, one girl. Yep. So it's okay to feel wholly outraged. Here's the challenge. For us to see prophetically what's happening spiritually and how to respond legitimately and to get God's battle strategy on how to deal with it. Now let me remind everybody, the imprecatory psalms in your Bible are worship. All of the psalms are worship. They're in your Catholic Bible. They're in your Methodist Bible. They're in your Baptist Bible. They're in your Pentecostal Bible. They're in everybody's Bible. And all the psalms are worship. And they are expressions of how worship and warfare can be compatible. Now notice some things about these imprecatory psalms. This is important. Number one, they were never for revenge. They were never for revenge. Hebrews 10 verse 30 says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So they were prayers to God for Him to do something, knowing that anything God would do would never be unrighteous. It is perfectly biblical to seek justice. You know, some of our friends in here have suffered the murder of a brother. They watched them executed in our uh, federal pen uh, prison, and they got justice. They didn't seek revenge, justice. Justice is biblical. You'll see in a minute. It's quite scriptural. So revenge is outlawed as a Christian believer. God says, that's mine, I'll repay. Secondly, they were official prayers, not personal prayers. These writers saw themselves as God's mouthpiece on the earth, and that's what we as believers are supposed to be. We're ambassadors for Christ, right? God wants us to pray. These writers really believed they were God's holy nation. Now, that was natural Israel, and now in the New Testament, Peter says we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So the church of Jesus Christ embraces every race, every nationality, every culture, and God calls us all together in Christ a holy nation. And so they saw everybody as needing to be won over to the God of heaven who created all things. They knew that if they were wiped out, God wouldn't have a people in the earth. Now, why don't we understand that? God says you're salt. Salt is a preservative. Salt keeps things from putrefying. You've got to be in this earth. I mean, quit praying, I'll fly away. No, stay here and do something. Make the world a little bit better. We need you to use your influence, your resources, your position, whatever it may be, to bring good on this earth, to help people, to help the oppressed. Don't just think about your own self. Think about others who aren't as fortunate as you. There are many people that don't have food to eat, children that don't have food to eat. We support them. We pay for them. We love them. 
and we're going to continue long as we have a dollar in the bank to help others less fortunate. That's part of our mission. That's part of God's mission to this world. It's not just about us. So I don't know why we don't seem to understand God's always going to have a people in the earth to express His will in this earth and to people. We're supposed to be merchants of good news, not bad news. Good news. Good news. I used to go to church and thought I didn't heard any good news. About the only hope I had was going to heaven. That was about all they gave me. Not making a difference in this world. But everybody's put here to make some difference. You've been hardwired to do something for God's glory when you know Him. And so do it. Make a difference. Don't just eat, burp, and breathe and watch football. <laughs> crying out loud. You, use what God's given you to make a difference and make the world and people a little bit better. Psalms 139, verse 21. How I hate them, O Lord, that hate you. I hate them that rise up against you. I hate them with a perfect hatred. Aha! Perfect hatred is not unrighteousness, because it's hatred or anger without malice. Then he goes on to say, I count them my enemies. That's covenant talk. God says, whoever touches you touches me. That's covenant. You touch my wife, we're in covenant. We're one flesh. You touch me, Jack. You touch one of my brothers in here, black, Hispanic, Asian, or Caucasian, you touch me. I've taken on a couple of people for taking on some of my brothers in here. I'll defend you. I'll stand with you. I may, as a brother, take you back here somewhere and say, you ignoramus, what are you thinking? But you're my brother, and I'm going to stand with you. Jesus stands with you says, I'll never leave you or forsake you for crying out loud. Don't let people pick on your brother. If you see somebody being oppressed, step into the midst. Well, I might get hurt. You might. So what? Do something good. Try to help somebody. Let a black man know you're not a racist or a bigot. If you hear somebody de de degrading somebody, step in. I've done that multiple times. Well, you can get in a fight. Yeah, you can. Bring it on. I thought, what a great testimony next week. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> I'm not going to let somebody pick on somebody poor or take advantage of somebody old. If I'm there and I can do something about it, the Bible says, who is my neighbor? Whoever happens to be near you when they're in trouble. Do something. Help somebody. Don't just stand there and look say, not my job. That's typical American culture. So I'm serious about that. We had somebody attack, when I say attack, you know, make some verbal ugly remarks uh, years ago in our old location about one of the women that was teaching there, had been in this church for 38 years, and I ate her like a pit bull on somebody coming in the backyard that ain't supposed to be there. And they left the church. And I'm glad, because they were out of order and wrong. They were slandering a godly and a good person out of jealousy. And they've never amounted to anything since they left. That's years and years ago. But I took them on. You say, well, sometimes you confront and you lose somebody. That's fine. If you can't be corrected, then you're going to be a rebel the rest of your life. Every one of us has to be corrected. That goes for me, too. I'm not, I'm not perfect. And if I want to go to another level, I better listen to some evaluation of where I am so I can do better, so I can correct what needs to be corrected. But I'm telling you, this is not a church that's based on being white. It's not a church based on black. It's not a church based on being Republican or Democrat or Independent or Tea Party or non-voter. It's a Jesus church. Now, you have a civil right to vote, and you better vote. I'm registered to vote, and I'm voting tomorrow early. And you vote. 
based on your value and based on your conscious uh, knowledge of God's Word and Scripture, the very best you can. We have imperfect people. That's fine. Do the best you can. Pray about it. We'll have a prayer meeting, by the way, Wednesday night at 7 here, and I hope every one of you will come. One hour, 15 minutes. I'm going to be right here. We're going to have prayer and praise. I hope you'll join us. And if you don't register to vote, shut up whatever the election results are. I don't want to hear your mouth. You didn't register. Well, I didn't want to get called to jury duty. Well, great, then shut up. Don't talk about what you think or feel or this person or that person. I don't ever share my, my particular preference on political candidates. Never have, never will. This church is not centered around a political ideology. It is centered around a biblical ideology, and that's going to include everybody, okay? Every one of us is a sinner, every one of us needs redemption, and every one of us needs transformation. And I've been in this thing a long time, and I'm still being transformed. There's still areas of uh, uncleanness or brokenness in me that need transformation. And all of us have been messed by people and culture and different races and experiences in our lives. And so God can heal that. God can make that well. I want everybody to—I don't care if you climb a strip pole in a strip club. If you're here today, I am glad you're here today. I want you to hear good news. I want you to know God loves you and that God can change your perspective. And He's used strippers and escorts long before you climbed a pole, sweetheart. (laughs) Rahab comes to my mind in Jericho. She was a top high-dollar escort, and God put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ, so shut up. I want you to know the only hope for any of us is to hear good news and let God save us and transform us. That's the only difference between any of us, right? So don't pick on my brothers, or you pick on me. Number three, they were honest expressions of holy outrage. I think a lot of Christians are just nicer than Jesus was. I really, really do. You brood of snakes and vipers. That's Jesus. Wasn't politically correct, was it? I don't like this talk. I just want love, peace, and joy. Well, go to heaven. (laughs) Yeah, I want love, peace, and joy too, but we live in a very violent world where there's not a lot of that. We want that in the church, but we want to bring it to earth as well, and God will do it through you. But you're born into a war. The Bible makes it quite clear that we are in a battle between light and darkness, good and evil, Satan and God. It's a battleground. Every day is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Be alert. Be sober-minded. Resist the enemy. Submit to God. Resist the enemy, and he will flee from you. It's a battle. He gives us in Ephesians armor for defense, and he gives us an attack weapon, the sword. That's God's Word. And he says, you can fight back. Every time Jesus dealt with Satan, he said, get behind me, it is written. And he quoted God's Word and silenced the adversary. You've got to do the same thing as a believer. I'm not a victim. I'm not sucking my thumb, drinking Maalox, hiding somewhere, praying for the rapture. I'm an offensive attack. I'm a SWAT team. I can do some real damage to darkness. I can do some damage to the enemy. The enemy ought to be afraid when you show up. Things are going to change. The demons said, Jesus, we know, oh God. Paul, oh, we know all about him, but who are you? See, they know your name. They know if you know who you are in Jesus, if you carry any authority at all. And they tremble when you show up with some authority. You're a target. I don't think everybody's a target because everybody's not doing anything. The enemy's only got limited resources. He can't be everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. God is. 
So if Satan's attacking you, he's not attacking me. And I want to make this really, really clear. I hope you'll carry this point away. Every attack in your life, every setback is not the devil. I'm going to bet 70% are the consequences of bad choices. If you do something dumb and you suffer the consequences, the devil ain't attacking you. You are attacking you. And we watch politicians do it all the time to themselves. Yeah, don't be blaming somebody when you hand them the gun and they shoot you. I'm telling you, you, got, you know, you, you, you sleep around and you come down with a disease and all oh, the devil. No, 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 sweetheart. The devil didn't attack you. you, you you're, that's the consequences of bad choices. There is satanic attack, of course. But in this case, when you're making stupid decisions all the time, there are consequences. Would you agree? Sure. If I drive 90 miles into a tree, well, the Lord took him. Oh, the Lord didn't take him. <laughs> Drunk driving 90 miles an hour into a tree took him. It was a bad choice. I don't fit in church. I know that. I know that. I should walk out very humbly. I should have a little boutonniere here. And thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And gag me. Jesus didn't talk that way. It's not in the Bible. So what it is, it is. All right? I don't know. I'm like Simon Cowell. Honey, who told you you could sing? Go sit down. <laughs> That's what I understand. So we, you know, so what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to get mad, righteous, and get aggressive in your praying? And pray some dirty, hairy prayers. When will we reach that threshold of pain when enough is enough watching what sin has done? We got millions of people killing babies. It takes nearly $40,000 to adopt a child in this country and only about 400 bucks to abort one. You can kill it. Sixty-five percent of teenagers are sexually active in high schools. Our cities are drug jungles. Murder is up. Racism, bigotry, war, rage, and violence. It's never been so high. I've wondered, how can killing baby seals compare with baby murder? In Texas, it used to be—I don't know what the law is now. You can correct me. It used to be a fine of $2,500 if you destroyed a whooping crane egg. You know why? Somebody intelligent knew that whooping cranes come from whooping crane eggs. But we don't have sense to know that if you destroy the fetus, you destroy a human being. See, I mean, come on, man, is there a David spirit in you that says, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not right. It's forgivable, but it's not right. And begin to rise up and shake off that false sanctimonious religion. Let's stop feeling guilty for feeling violent. You know, there are principalities over areas of cities, areas of high crime, poverty, rape, shootings, and mugging. And you can throw more police at it, and in some cases that's necessary. But the real root is a principality ruling that geographical area. And there has to be those—the people that have some authority in Christ have to come together and bind and pray, God, silence this adversary, bring down this tormentor of murder and rage and this principality. Send your destructive angels in here to break his yoke over our neighborhood, over our city. That has to be done, because it's—remember, we're in a spiritual war, and there's a principality behind the flesh. So flesh and blood aren't going to help us, weapons like that, not the total answer. You can't fight a war nice. Try that in Vietnam. 
We won't, we won't bomb key targets. Oh, well, joy to the world. I'm a military guy. That's great. We won't bomb a strategic target. Who thought that up in Washington? Or, well, you, even though you see the sniper in the tree, you're hovering in your helicopter. Jim Williams was a chopper pilot in Vietnam, shot down a couple of times. He'll tell you, we can't shoot him until he shoots at us. Well, my heroes were Captain Oles, Major Oles, in the Vietnam War who flew Phantom Four fighters. And you know, I'm, a, I'm an old fighter pilot. And Oles knew the rules, and the rules of engagement were you could not fire back at a MiG unless the MiG took offensive action, hostile action against you. Who thought of this? So Oles, privately, that were the rules, privately told his boys, boys, if they take off, that's hostile action. <laughs> and they blew them out of the sky. And Jim told his gunner in the door, if you see it, shoot it. You don't fight nice in a war, anywhere. The devil doesn't fight nice. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life, your marriage, your future, your hope, your children, your health, everything about you. So somebody's got to do whatever's necessary in the Holy Spirit to jerk these principalities and powers off their thrones in the heavenlies. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Here's a guy that is sleeping publicly with his stepmother. Everybody in the church knows it. It's widespread. It's common talk. And here's what this apostle says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so his spirit can be saved in the day of the Lord. See, Paul did not mind praying that this man might be destroyed in the flesh, that his spirit might be saved. The Corinthian church leadership was too nice. They wouldn't do anything about it. In Luke 18, we've read this a week or two ago, then Jesus told the disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not to give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who didn't fear God or people. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. Finally, he said, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find such faith on earth? That's a good question. That word avenge, she prayed, means to punish. She was saying, judge, help me and punish him. Most Christians just cry out, help me, help me. But how many go on and pray, and avenge me of my adversary? I was praying with a businessman who has set a man up in business several years ago who had nothing. He was poor. He enriched him, gave him title, gave him position, gave him access to uh, multiple millions of dollars. And then that man has illegitimately tried to seize control of his assets and company, and it's costing him a fortune in lawyer bills to defend it and fight it. And I says, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray some imprecatory psalms. I said, God, break the teeth of this adversary. I pray, O oh God, you will bring shame and reproach 
upon this individual. I pray you'll bring confusion and confront their wicked plan to devise evil. May they fall prey to the snare, I'm quoting Scripture here, that they have set for him. May they stumble and fall. Now I'm not praying an eternal judgment, I'm praying temporal judgment. I can't damn anybody to hell, I don't have that authority, my pay grade doesn't go that high. But I can, I can definitely pray a temporal judgment on the one the enemy is using to bring such. I said, we got to, this is powerful. When there's millions of dollars involved, this is a powerful principality. That's not some squealy little chihuahua demon we're dealing with here. This is a powerful principality. And it's going to take some aggressive authority in praying to bring this thing down. Anytime there's power or money, you got big principalities and powers involved in it. Okay? Okay. I hope you're listening. All right. So it's perfectly right to say, help me out of this mess, Lord, and avenge me of my adversary. Shut his mouth. Let him come to shame. Let him be a reproach. May his words fall to the ground like rocks. I'm just quoting out of the, uh, the King James here. That is perfectly permissible to pray. Stop this person and the power behind them. So we need to pray not only for deliverance, but that these strongholds get judged. See, avenge me of my adversary. He says, the Father will avenge them speedily if they ask Him. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall He find such faith on earth? You know, well, I find a people not interested in just getting their own help, but who are interested in seeing the causes of unrighteousness brought down to the ground. Are you one of these people? See, Francis Frangipane from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, several years ago we were in a meeting together, and he was sharing from the time pastors of his city began to pray violently, violent crime which had risen 11 percent in Iowa decreased 17 percent in their city. That went on for several years. The FBI, this is several years ago, called Cedar Rapids the safest city in the United States in cities over 100,000 in population. What was the secret? All of the ministers getting together in agreement in powerful, imprecatory psalm warfare praying. In West Memphis, Tennessee, a church had been coming together in violent intercession against high-traffic drug traffic. Two weeks later, they had the biggest drug bust in the history of Memphis. See, let's pray out the drug dealers, the terrorists, the rapists, corruption in public office. Let's pull down some of these strong murder and racial violence and tension. There's a powerful ideology, a stronghold of thinking over these areas that are subject to that. You can drive from one neighborhood and then cross into an, and the whole atmosphere changes. And see, the unsaved man doesn't know what's going on, but there is a principality that controls that area. When Daniel prayed before being thrown into the lion's den, God sent an angel. Twenty-one days later, Michael, the archangel, showed up and said, hey, from the day you prayed, God sent the answer. But the powerful prince of Persia resisted that angel. He wasn't strong enough. So God sent an archangel. Michael, the angel of war, and he sent me, and he pulled down that prince, and of course there was a mighty deliverance. That's why persistence is important. It doesn't all come down in 15 minutes or less. You know, this is, we need to quit being afraid of witches and warlocks and all that nonsense I hear about all the time, and the devil. Last time I read my Bible, he was defeated. He is a formidable enemy, of course. I cannot be foolish or complacent. But I should never be afraid. 
They overcame, Revelation 12, the adversary by the blood of the Lamb. I have been begotten of God. The wicked one touches me not. I'm covered in the blood of Jesus now. So are you if you're a believer. And by the word of my proclamation, I quote God's word against him, and not loving my life unto death. If you love your reputation and your life so much, you'll save your life, you end up losing it. So it's got to be all, all or nothing into this deal. So it ought to be witches and warlocks and these kind of people frightened of Christians who show up to pray against them. See, when are we going to pray like this widow? Help me, Lord, but take out my enemies. Avenge me, Lord. Punish my enemy. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I don't have an AK-47 or an AR-15. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. See, verse 6, God has a readiness to avenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we love to read warfare passages, but God's waiting on us to come into obedience. We have to do something. We have to pray. Psalms 139, search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I didn't mention this earlier, but David said, I'm praying this, but Lord, check out my heart. I want to be sure I'm not praying with a bad spirit, that I'm not praying for personal revenge or that I've been personally wronged, search me, O Lord. See, no revenge is allowed. Justice is, not revenge. So prayers must be official, not personal. They must be expressions of holy outrage. They must involve a jealousy for God's name. They must be prayers for temporal judgment, not eternal judgment. So I can pray that my enemies be removed and brought down, and I can pray for their souls at the same time and not be inconsistent. So stop feeling guilty when you feel outraged. You can pray over your spouse if they've got a stronghold. You can pray a stronghold off of a child with continual perseverance, something motivating their erratic behavior. Don't just suck your thumb and cry. You have some authority here. So God's looking for some good men and good women, not wimps. Let me give you a picture of what I mean. Watch Dirty Harry. You've got to ask yourself a question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? We left out the execution, okay? We, we left that out. <laughs> Have to be careful today. Okay, so just using that to illustrate a spiritual truth. You see something going on in your marriage, going on over your children, coming in against your health, against your finances, against your business or whatever. You need to be this aggressive posture. So I'm just using as simple as I know how. And just like old Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry, you just pick up your 357 Magnum. Punk. You see this? This is a 357 Magnum. But, but I know what you're thinking, punk. You're wondering, have I got the guts to use it? Go ahead. Make my day. Yeah, see? And you fire with God's Word and silence. Yeah, how about a good shout of amen? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Make my day. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com 
and connect with us on social media.